And there's a, a lot of events that are happening from Earth Day until the 1st of May. And to be able to have time together at this juncture and to have time to drop in to our own felt experience, our own body experience, and to begin to open up some of the um, contemplations of, of what's happening in ourselves, what's happening in the earth, and not just do it as a conceptual exercise, not just do it as a, as a thought-provoking thing, but to stay rooted in our own body is very important. So I like to start or frame a day-long retreat by just touching into refuges and precepts as a container. And I imagine all of you are well-versed in refuges and precepts, so I probably don't need to say a whole lot, other than when we um, connect with refuge, we're opening up past the uh, immediacy of our own individual sphere into something that's quite vast, quite timeless, and, in, and interestingly enough, quite universal. Because the quality of the awakened mind, which is one way of interpreting what Buddha means, the quality of the truth of the way things are, which is a way of interpreting what Dhamma means, and the quality of the aspiration to awaken, which is a way of interpreting what Sangha means, Buddhists don't have a monopoly on. So one of the things that I find quite sweetly ironic is, is that the, the distinguishing feature which allows us to be Buddhists is actually inclusive and quite universal, if we understand it from this open perspective. And then the precepts to refrain from harming, to refrain from dishonesty, to refrain from uh, acting with our sexuality or with the sensuous world in a way that causes confusion, to be careful with our speech in terms of saying what is true and what is useful, and in our ability to work with the substances of the world that confuse or the kinds of things that are, uh, tend, tend to be addictive. So in our modern world, we can see that addictions are not just about drugs and alcohol, but it can be about food and internet and shopping and um, the addiction to be liked. Addictions can come in all kinds of different shapes. So when we take the precepts as a way of giving some reflection and some container, some opportunity to live with harmlessness and honesty and to get some purchase on the way that the mind moves towards using sensuality in order to distract and gives us some conviction for working with the different ways that we can move towards attaching to the objects of our desire then we have much more ground to uh, be present for what is. And in this first precept of refraining from harm, you know, certainly 
most people that I know have a lot of background noise or habits or patterns that are injurious, that are slanderous, that are shaming, that are belittling, that are uh, critical, that are judgmental, that are unkind towards ourself. And when we take the first precept as a way of getting some leverage on that, uh, it's really important because until we have leverage on that, we don't usually have a resource for being able to engage or consider or enact what is harmless in the world. When we don't know what is harmless in ourself, it's hard to find a way to find the conviction to move towards what is harmless in the world. And it's my intention today to start with basic themes of refuge and precepts and body awareness and then open up into considerations about where we are and what's going on with the world and how do we work with that. And until we have that capacity and the conviction and the determination to stop harming ourselves, we don't have a whole lot that we can give to these larger conversations. So it's imperative. doing the New York um, shuffle of shuffling off the train noises and energetics from my system as I walk into the room. Does anyone have any questions about refuges or precepts? Is that all clear? Yeah. No, okay. So let's just take that as a given, that that's the kind of framework that we're working with, refuges and precepts, together today. And I'd like to start the morning with a standing meditation. So if I could invite everyone to stand. Dalila, can we get the mic to stand? Or this one to stand? Or should I use that? Use, use the handheld? And as you're letting your toes spread out, 
your ankles soften and unlock your knees. And just let your sitting bones tuck under. So if you can't quite figure out what that means, if you had a nice big bushy tail like a fox or a coyote, you tuck your tail between your legs and that makes your sitting bones tuck under. And then from your sitting bones tucked under, your sacrum is in the right relationship. Your spine can elongate, your neck can elongate, and the top of the head is the highest point, and then the arms can open and relax, the shoulders can relax and drop, and fingers can spread. And so we can feel ourselves rooted and standing, and just allow our weight to sink into the earth. So whatever activity or journey has preceded coming here, to let our weight sink into the floor, we can let it go, or invite it to let go, dropping away. And if at any point you feel you need to sit down, trust yourself rather than feel like you need to be in sync with the rest of the group. And if you're feeling a little bit that it's not easy to stay balanced, just keep your eyes open softer. So it's not that frequent that we hear standing meditation instruction. And I have found it really useful. Because sitting in front of a computer, sitting at a desk, sitting talking on a telephone, it's often the case we don't need to do more sitting. We need to have some more balance in our body. And in New York, there's a lot of buildings, tall buildings, and there's a lot of roads. Even still, you've got some beautiful parks and some spectacular trees. And it just feels so fresh to be outside and to see the blue sky see the trees blooming, and to feel them rooted in the earth. To stand next to a tree that is rooted in the earth. And so if you know of a tree, you can bring the tree or to mind. And allow the tree to help you sink into the earth by knowing that its roots go deep, spread out wide, and help to hold the stability in cold, bitter winters and winds, summer and heat and rain. And we can learn how to find that in our own body that rootedness, that flexibility, that strength. So sinking into the earth, allowing ourselves to feel our weight, our heaviness, being pulled into the earth, 
is another way of relaxing. It's another way of inviting muscles to become unbound, to soften, to open, and to let attention connect with the body. And so in addition to balance and relaxation, what's also helpful is a sense of renewal. And so we are at the cusp of spring, seeing cherry trees blossoming, daffodils blooming, pansies in their beautiful colors emerging, crocus. And we can tap into the life force that is in the earth around us, in those big trees that are standing in the parks and the gardens. Life force pervades everything. Using awareness and breath and life force, allowing that to come through the bottom of our feet and invigorating our feet. Invigorating our legs. And so when we allow breath, awareness, and life forth into our feet, we open up to see what happens, the sensations, the tingling, the movement in our feet, in our legs, in our knees, our thighs, up to our hips and our pelvis, into our abdomen, Filling up our torso and our back. Filling our chest and our upper back, our neck and our shoulders. Filling up our hands and our wrists, our lower arm and our upper arm. Again, the shoulders, the neck, the face, and the head. And then for the next minute or two, just breathing through the whole body all at the same time, as if we were breathing through every cell, every pore, every organ, all simultaneously. Breathing in new, revitalizing, invigorating, inspiring, uplifting energy, and releasing everything that is old and stagnant and no longer life-serving or useful.
Breathing in through every cell, every pore, every pore of the skin, every cell of the muscles, every cell in their whole body. Invigorating, uplifting, renewing, allowing the life force, awareness and breath in, letting it in. Releasing what's no longer useful. Releasing what no longer serves. Releasing tiredness, busyness, confusion. Releasing disconnection and dissociation. And now, just breathing normally, feeling what it feels like to be standing here together. And taking care to change postures coming into sitting. Feeling the movement, feeling the change of shape. Just noticing what you notice. So sitting is a different than standing, it's a different posture. And we can just take a few moments to see that we are sitting in a way that is upright and relaxed. And just checking to see that the pelvis is in the right relationship for sitting. The pelvis sitting is in an opposite relationship to the spine is the pelvis standing. Standing, we tuck our sitting bones under. Sitting, we have the top of the pelvis forward. So the sitting bones are slightly in back of the top of the pelvis, just a fraction. So you can sometimes rock back and forth and see the, the, the moment when gravity starts to pull you forward, then rock back, and see when gravity starts to pull you back, and your back starts to curl, and your breath starts to become constricted because your chest is not open. So letting your pelvis rock gently, until you find that place that is just like effortless. It's the sweet spot where it takes so little energy to stay up 
and supports a deep sense of ease and relaxation. It's not fixed, it's not frozen, but resting, upright, balanced, aligned, relaxed, and as effortless as it can be sitting. Now just in that spot, that sweet spot, see what happens if you try not to move at all. Don't move at all. And notice how much tension there is in the chest. Notice how the breath becomes constricted. Notice how awareness dims. Notice how it takes a lot of effort to not move at all. That's not the kind of stillness that is a useful stillness. Now, in contrast, notice the very slight rocking that continues. When you breathe in, the pelvis tilts slightly forward, and when you breathe out, it rocks slightly back, just a fraction, almost undiscernible. And when you allow this movement, notice how much ease and relaxation. Notice how unconstrained the breath is. Notice the naturalness of this kind of movement. This very subtle movement supports stillness. But the stillness is not frozen, it's alive. The body is not frozen, it's alert.
And so when we take time to work with posture, when we take time to work with balance, alignment, and relaxation, what happens in our body can then be mirrored in our mind. So continuing to work with the meditation in a way that allows attention to become connected to your body. And so whether that is best supported with attention to the breath, with attention to body scanning, or to relaxation, is a choice that you can make. Dropping in, settling in, connecting in.
Anytime you notice that you've gone back into freeze, where there's no life-affirming movement, just noticing it and just inviting that very microscopic rocking of the pelvis with each breath. Soften the freeze, allow life, sensations, and awareness to suffuse the whole body.
If there's thinking or thoughts about what happened in the past or trying to figure out about what needs to happen in the future, just bring attention to the thinking. Notice this is going on. And coming back into the body sensations, breath, posture, and relaxation in the present. We don't need to judge or criticize. We don't even need to have an opinion about it. Just waking up to habit of thought, reconnecting with the body and the breath, invigorating, relaxing, and connecting. And if you're sleepy, just notice that you're sleepy and open your eyes or look up. Pull on your earlobes or take a couple of very deep breaths in. And just take a moment to check and see if your posture is collapsed or if your chest is open and you're breathing in a way that is unimpeded.
So we have a period of walking now. And what I'd like to encourage is to stay with the theme of letting attention settle in your body. And with walking, sometimes it's really helpful to put together the steps and the breath. And let me show you what that looks like. need to turn to see me because I think it'll be easier if I'm walking back here not having to navigate um, yeah so uh, I imagine do you do walking meditation in this space just up here yeah okay yeah so there's a number of us and so what's probably good to find a walking path this direction so that more people can fit in the space, yeah. And um, when you're putting the breath and the feet together, what's really helpful is to be really relaxed. <clears throat> and just to notice, when you shift your weight and you're lifting your foot, if you slow down a lot and you lift your foot on the in-breath, and then you place your foot on the out-breath, then you have to slow down. You really have to slow down because you can't do this and have your breath not be altered. So you don't want to change your breath. You want to let your feet slow down enough so that your feet can come with the in-breath and the out-breath. But if you do this when you're trying to control it, then what happens is your shoulders come up into your ears and you end up like a pretzel. So we're not interested in pretzel making, we're interested in relaxing and connecting. So you need to really slow down and just relax as much as possible. So it's kind of like dancing, you know, floating and dancing, lifting on the in-breath, feeling your foot lift off the floor, and then placing and shifting on the out-breath. And what happens with this is that it cuts through thinking because we've got to put so much together. So lifting on the in-breath, moving, placing, and shifting on the out-breath. So eyes are open and looking ahead. Maybe about six feet ahead. And then when you get to the end of your path, stopping and just noticing that your feet are both stopped. And really stopping. Stopping the habits, stopping the thinking, stopping 
relaxing. And then the same, lifting on the in-breath, placing and shifting on the out-breath. Lifting on the in-breath, placing and shifting on the out-breath. So this low, slow breathing, connecting the breath and the walking together is great when there's a lot of thinking and it's possible to relax. If it's not possible to relax enough to do that and you notice that you're starting to get tense, then walk in a normal pace where you're just feeling your feet and the breath together. And when you get to the end of the path, also stop and feel your weight sinking into the ground. And notice any tension that has accumulated and shifting and come back. So when walking at a normal pace, you can also feel the current of air against your eyes and against your skin. But what we're wanting to do is connect and relax and bring attention into our body. That's the most important thing. So usually when we're walking, we have an agenda. We're trying to get somewhere and our attention is outside. So we're not focused on our feet. We're not focused on the sensations of our body. We're not aware of our breath. We're trying to get somewhere. We're trying to navigate people. We're trying to not to crash into people. And we're trying to get there in a particular time. And while we're trying to get there, we're trying to plan our dinner and our conversation with our boss and write the email and have the conversation and figure out the paper that we've got to write. Okay? So we're doing 10 different things at the same time. And so what we're wanting to do in walking meditation is suffuse attention in our body, let it be deeply grounded in the body. And anytime any of these ideas of all these extra projects come up, we can just note that they're coming up and recognize this is not the right time to do them. It's not that they don't need to get done, and it's not that we're averse to doing them, but this is not the right time. So right now is just the time to walk. And when we walk, we want to stay open and alert, so we don't want to crash into people, but we don't need to be absorbed in what anyone else is doing. And if we hear sirens, or we hear cars, or we hear long conversations, or whatever we hear here, we can notice that we're hearing it, but then we bring our attention back to the breath and the body sensations. So walking is about immersing attention in our body rather than the normal habit, which is to let our body be something like a hollow um, corpse that we drag alongside of a project agenda that's just moving ahead. Yeah? I mean, that's what happens to me sometimes. I completely lose contact with my body all the time. So it's, you know, it's, it's special practice, yeah. And it can be really joyful and light. You know, it doesn't have to be really tight. In fact, to be really tight, it's often when we're really tight, we're not very aware. And we're certainly not very relaxed, yeah. So when you're falling asleep, and you're falling asleep because energy is stagnant, you're not falling asleep because you're sick, then sometimes what's helpful is just to move very quickly. And it's hard here because we don't really have enough space. But if we, if we were as few enough of us that we could go the long way in the hall, then you can move as fast as you can and just connect with the feet on the floor and the movement on the eyes and the breath. 
So to move as fast as you can, there's probably four or five steps with each breath. So I feel, the, I feel the air on my eyes very much. And then sometimes with walking super fast, you can also notice that you get tense because you're moving quickly. So relax completely. I can't get up too much speed because I'm going to slide. But if I had my socks off, I'd be able to get up a good trot. So you can use this as a way of working with energy. So I've given three different speeds, not to say that there's one speed that's the right speed, but to recognize that when you've got different things going on, sometimes you need different ways of working with it. So what I really hope happens during retreat time is that people begin to start trusting what they need and intuiting that and finding the right thing that works for you. First introduced to meditation, I heard stories about Deepama and um, uh, later was able to visit her. And Deepama, how many people have heard about Deepama? Most of you. You know, Deepama, her physical body was like tiny. I mean, I think she was probably maybe four foot eight or something, maybe four foot seven or four foot six. And she was well under a hundred pounds. I mean, she was tiny, absolutely tiny. But her presence was so huge, it was almost unimaginable. And when I, when I heard about her in Jack Engler's class and he was telling about her life and the way he experienced her doing research in India, you know, he talked about the fact that she had said that for her awareness and love were the same thing. Mindfulness and love were the same thing. And when I heard that, you know, that Deepama had said that, I found it deeply affirming because that is also my experience. But I had never heard any of my male teachers describe it that way. So to have somebody like Deepama say that, for me, was like, oh, you know, my own perceptions of reality are, I can relax in them with them. So in meditation, we have really a number of tasks. You know, one is simply to get enough focus that we can be present with what's going on because the normal experience is a little bit all over the place. You know, a monkey mind that's moving from thoughts and feelings and associations and perceptions and projects we have to do in the future and things that happened in the past and conversations that are evocative and so our mind is, is, is moving. And so one of the tasks is to, is to bring together attention and connect it with our body and our breath so that we can land. We're actually dropped in rather than scattered around. And that effort of dropping in is a really fundamental effort of what is needed in order to collect and gather 
and suffuse attention through mind and body so that we can begin to feel the aliveness of just being. Yeah. But in the same way that when we took or affirmed or recollected that there's a precept around non-harming, non-harming is a refraining from particular kinds of action. Love is an embracing of an attitude and action and a quality of being that is not about what we don't do, it's about what we bring. Yeah. And these two things for me are like dovetailed. And oftentimes on a meditation retreat, we spend, you know, however long we're on retreat, and then the last meditation is a loving-kindness meditation. You know, so it's like the cherry on the top of the cake, you know, to send us out into the world. But for me, they're dovetailed, and they need to be present from the beginning. Because the other side, awareness is, mindfulness is cool, it's observing. Loving-kindness is warm, connecting, and embracing. They're two sides of the same thing, which is, is that it's a non-divisive, non-exclusive way of bringing attention to what is present. One is cool and equanimous, the other is warm, engaging, and relational. And both are what we need. We can't just have one. And both give rise to the opposite. Mindfulness and clarity gives rise to loving kindness. Loving kindness gives rise to seeing things clearly. And equanimity, they support each other. So this next meditation will be a, a guided meditation working with metta, loving kindness and seeing how that also impacts relaxation, how that impacts connection, how that impacts our sense of aliveness and energy and being able to be present. Now, I realized in giving a little bit of encouragement with sitting, I wasn't attending to the fact that there are many here who are sitting in chairs, and hats off to you for sitting in a chair. There's no need to sit on a floor when that's not comfortable. But chairs, anyone who designs a chair goes through a particular school on how to design a chair to make it impossible to sit up correctly. <laughs> it's a credential that everyone has to have before they're allowed to design a chair. And so the, the chairs, if we sit in them the way that they are designed for us to sit in them, which is to sit back, then it's impossible for the, for the back to actually be uh, open, the chest to be open, because it curves our back. Yeah. So the way to circumvent, circumvent this design school is to sit on the edge of the chair. And when you sit on the edge of the chair, then it does the right thing with your sacrum, and then your back can sit upright. And Certainly some people have things going on where that's not going to work for you. And so if that's not going to work for you, then there's another really important meditation instruction which is not often given, which is when to ignore the instruction of the teacher. And that's a really important instruction, when to ignore the instruction of the teacher. So, you know, listen and feel out what's going on in your own body. 
and then see whether it makes more sense to try and work with the edge of the chair or not. Because when you're sitting on the edge of the chair, your sacrum can be tilted in the right way. When you're sitting in the back of the chair, it cannot be. And when you're sitting with your sacrum tilted correct, it naturally allows an elongation in the spine and the chest to be open. And when the sacrum is tilted back, everything caves in and it makes the breath much more difficult to flow. Now, it's not like there's mystical postures and you know extra things that work if you can put yourself with your legs tied up behind your neck and all the rest of that. But what happens is, is, is that just mechanically, when we, when we work it to the right advantage, it means that we're swimming downstream rather than upstream in terms of what happens with our breath and how much energy it takes. Yeah. So now you get to decide if you listen or you don't listen to the instruction. Let me just get this so this is right. So any time we're sitting, it's helpful just, just to take a moment and to feel what's happening in the posture and to make whatever kind of small adjustments, micro-movements that are needed and to really feel that gentle, very subtle rocking. With the in-breath, there's a pelvis tilt forward and with the out-breath, there's a pelvis tilt back. And that movement is really supportive for the whole other part of the body, opening, connecting, relaxing. So it's not ever useful to, sh to shut that movement down. So just feeling the movement from walking now into sitting. And again, dropping attention feeling attention immersed in body sensations, in the shape of posture. And just take a, a moment to scan and notice if there are places of tightness or tension that need a particular invitation to relax. Sometimes we can give invitations and they're not accepted. It doesn't relax. But sometimes it is accepted. And just that's what is needed is to bring attention to tension. And that can be sometimes enough for a shift. And so taking a moment to relax and another couple moments to just breathe in and out and allow the body to become renewed with the in-breath and to release and let go everything that is not needed on the out-breath. So we come fully into present time. Awake alert, attentive, connected, present with what's arising here and now.
Now bring to mind the image of somebody you have in your life or who has been in your life who you know is caring and kind and really only wants the best for you. They are not coming with a personal agenda. They just want you to flourish. They want you to be well. They want you to be happy. And bring the image of this person. Allow them to become as clear as possible. And if no image comes immediately, sometimes for many people it's not a human person, it's an animal person they feel this kind of connection with. So we don't have to be species-centric. We can allow it in from wherever we feel it. Sometimes I feel this from nature, from rocks, from trees, from special sacred places. So it doesn't have to be limited to the human realm. But certainly if there is a, an immediate sense of who that person might be, just let the image of them become as clear as it can. In terms of how you know them to look, And just imagining they're looking into your eyes. And when these deep pools of eyes, you can feel they're caring. You can feel they're wishing you well. They can feel that what they really only want is for you to flourish. for you to have the support that you need to work with what comes up. The contact you need to bring forward your creativity and intelligence into this world. The context that you need for your practice to deepen and your gifts to be shared. They know, they see, they care, and that's what they want. So uh, look at them looking at you, wanting this for you, and let it in. Let in their caring. Let in their wanting you to flourish. Letting in the sense, the context, that allows you to be all that you are. And share that in the way that is the most congruent for you. Let it in. And if you find places where it aches letting it in, let it in the ache. Let it ache. Hmm. 
Just aware, embrace the ache as you let in the kindness that you see in these eyes, knowing you, wanting you to be well, wanting you to flourish, wanting you to be healthy, wanting you to have the practice opportunities that will uh, support you deepening, supporting you understanding, supporting you letting go of what no longer serves, supporting you waking up to what is life-affirming, what is loving, what is real, and what is true. Let it in. Let it into your body. Let it in through your skin. Let it penetrate your muscles. And watch what happens to your muscles when you let in the kindness, the caring, the well-wishing, when you let it in. Let it into your muscles and ligaments. Let it into your bones. Can you let the kindness saturate into your bones? Can you let their love enter and permeate your bones? Can you let it into your bone marrow, the substance that creates new life, new blood? Can you let the love into your bone marrow? and into your organs. Can you let it into your heart and into your lungs and into your liver? Can you let the love suffuse your brain and your nervous system? So your nervous system begins to unravel with love and care and kindness and support as a reference point. Can you let the love be part of all of your systems? 
your respiratory system and endocrine system, excretory system, digestive system, lymphatic system, circulation system. Letting the love in, letting it touch you, hold, wash, cleanse, reset your physical body And letting the kindness into your moods and emotions and feelings and thoughts and values and beliefs. Letting it be the container that holds all of what we know ourself to be. Hold ourself to be. Locate ourself. And now allowing this person or this being or this component of nature to timely tune in the caring from kindness to compassion, that they can be present with all of the things that ache, that hurt. that distress, that cause a contraction and a pulling back and not wanting to know. And you can feel their compassion pouring in. You can feel it in your body. You can feel it in your heart. You can feel it as a resource that you can rely on.
And so taking notice of what it feels like to allow kindness and compassion in and the impact it has on your body, on your nervous system, on your muscles, on your breathing. And knowing that we don't have to come up with loving-kindness and compassion as individual, separated, isolated beings. We can draw on the love and the compassion that we have experienced, that we have received, and allow that to flow through us to meet what arises. So um, I, had, I had said when we were setting up or we were having our beginning introductions, she was asked, what time should we have lunch? And I said, well, let's have lunch at 12.15 and go until 1.15. And already I've changed it. <laughs> so I want to do um, a little introduction to insight dialogue and have a first contemplation. And when we finish that, we'll have lunch. So it, so it might, it will probably be in about an hour, yeah? And we'll have an hour break, yeah. Um, inside Dialogue is a, you have known because Gregory Craner has come and has taught you. Gina has done some Inside Dialogue with Gregory and other people have come and taught it here. So some of you have had some experience with it, yeah, which is great. And for those of you who are new to Insight Dialogue, it's a system of meditation that was established that helps to let us connect into our body experience as we're speaking, not just simply as a way of being mindful about communication, but more profoundly as a way to stabilize the qualities of meditation in the experience of speaking with another. And you know, how often do we have a chance to go on silent retreat? How often are we talking with somebody? When we have an understanding of how to stabilize the qualities of meditation when we're talking with somebody, there are many, many, many more opportunities during the day and the week and the month and the year that we can bring that into our life than having opportunities where we're sitting and not speaking in silence. So one of the things about this is that it's hugely important in our worlds to bridge. 
But another thing that's really important is, is that there's an awful lot of stuff that happens that we simply cannot just figure out by sitting alone in silence. We actually need to figure it out in relationship because it's often relational, you know. So to have practices that support us being able to do what we need to do is, I think, a good thing. I think it's great. So what I'd like to suggest is, is that you pick a partner, and I'm inviting you to pick somebody who's not your domestic partner. Not because it's not useful to practice insight dialogue with them, quite the contrary, but because domestic partners are so highly attuned to every single whatever, it's actually um, a little bit sometimes more instructive to work with somebody where there's a little bit more neutrality. Yeah. So pick a partner, and the rule about picking a partner is, is that you have to be speaking at the same level. So chair people need to find chair people, and floor people need to find floor people. That's the rule. And what I want you to move the chairs around and the cushions around so that you're sitting facing each other, and I want you to spread out so that you're taking up as much of this room as you can. So we get to make a mess. And you're welcome to introduce yourself to your partner, find out their name. And the first part of this exercise is going to be something that, particularly if you haven't done before, it seems really weird. Because we get to break all of the normal communication rules that we often are living by. Is everyone partnered up? Okay. So um, the first part of this exercise is to work with breaking through and across all of our normal habits of conversation. So it's a little bit maddening because our normal habits when we're sitting across from somebody is to try and connect with them, to say things that are intelligent and make sense, to have some kind of a connection that we can know that we're making something intelligent and make sense. And our first object is to do all the opposite. And the reason for doing all the opposite is to begin to get a sense of what it's like to actually speak and stay connected to our own body. Okay? So the first objective with the first speaker is to um, speak and stay present in your body as you're speaking. And for many people, it's not something that we normally do. And so we don't have a lot of experience with it. And it just feels a little bit peculiar. But it's fundamental and foundational for the rest of the, of the insight dialogue practices to work. So the first speaker is going to be speaking about, um, it's, you're going to be giving like a body scan, just talking in like haiku, you know, shoulder, leg, you know, hot, you know, neck aching, breeze on eyes. So like three or four words is all. It's not a story. It's not the injuries that you've had in your medical history. It's not the, the physical therapy that you're doing. It's not the yoga exercise, the tai chi, the qigong. It's just really what's happening in the present moment. Just the physical sensations that are present in the present moment. So like we can do a body scan internally, we're doing a body scan and sharing it with our partner. 
okay? We never speak like this, okay? So it's a little bit weird. But it's really helpful to learn how to speak and feel what's going on as we're saying it, okay? So we're wanting to cut across the normal habits, all of the ideas about what communication is supposed to be. And there's a lot of conditioning around what communication is supposed to be, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. So we're pausing and cutting across that, yeah? The listener is listening with their body, listening from being, having their attention in their body and listening to the impact in their body with what it is that they're hearing. And again, as listeners, we have all kinds of conditioning about what we think we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be nodding. We're supposed to show them that we are interested and engaged. We're supposed to be, you know, encouraging, protecting, fixing, advising. I mean, we've got a long list as listeners about socially what our expectations are, okay? And what we're wanting to do is to cut through all of that. So we don't want to sit like a piece of stone, but our intention is not to fall into those behaviors that are just habitual because we're just wanting the other person to feel good. Certainly, if naturally, if you smile or if you laugh or if you find yourself nodding because you're really engaged, you don't need to clamp down on any of that. But we're not wanting to have that be habitual behavior. We're falling simply because we want the other person to feel reassured that we're present. What is really phenomenally powerful is when we can feel presence by being connected in our own body and learn to trust that and listen from that and let that be the place that we lean into rather than all of the cultural expectations. So, before we pick who's first and who's second, are there any questions about the basic instruction for speaker and for listener? Yes. Is this an eyes closed or an eyes open exercise? This is an eyes open exercise, and you don't need to lock eyes, you know. So this is not staring into the soul of your partner exercise. This is letting your eyes rest where you feel most relaxed, and they don't need to lock, they can move, okay? And so sometimes I find it extremely evocative looking in somebody else's eyes. And I sometimes move from eyes to between the eyes or the chin or sometimes, you know, the chest or something. And I just shift because it's really hard looking in somebody's eyes to be totally relaxed. It's very, very compelling. Yeah. Any other questions? Yes. I'm not really sure I understand what listening Okay, so normally we're trying to listen to concepts and we're trying to listen for story and we're trying to listen for meaning. What I would like you to do is to relax and to feel your body and just notice as you're relaxing and feeling your body what you feel as you're listening. You know, do you notice certain things happen in your body? Do you notice sensations? Do you notice your hands getting sweaty? Do you notice your... What do you notice? Okay, so your focus is on your body while you're listening. Any other questions? Good questions. Just like not necessarily full sentences, but it could 
Exactly. So it can just be a couple of words, you know, but it, it also can be a sentence. You know, but basically we're not wanting to have much story in this at all. And it's immediate. It's not what happened a minute ago. It's what's happening right this minute. Right now, right now, right now, right now, right now, right now. Okay? Any other questions? Yes? Three hours. <laughs> that was not a true statement. <laughs> Two minutes. Okay. And so, <laughs> so I'm going to ring the bell. So I'm, what's that? It'll feel like three, yeah, two minutes will feel like three hours. So I'm going to ring the bell. So I'm the queen of the bell. And so when you hear the bell, then everybody, whenever you hear the bell, the bell is a sense of starting or a sense of pausing. And so when, I, when we're silent and I ring the bell, that's the sign to begin. And when we're speaking and you hear the bell, that's the sign to pause. So pause is this willingness to cut across habit. Pause also is the ability when you're in the middle of speaking and you notice that you've caught by habit that you can just close your eyes and stop speaking, come back into attention with your body, and then start again. In the same way, if you're listening and your eyes are open and you notice that you've been nodding or you notice that you're leaning forward into the energy field of the other person and you're not at all present with your own body, you can just simply close your eyes and come back into what's happening in your own body and then when you're ready you can start again. So pause is our ability to close our eyes, drop back in, reconnect and then when we're ready to start again. And that's another thing that completely cuts across all normal conventions which is that the normal expectation is that when you're speaking you finish the sentence. Well, here the instruction is to stay with your body. And if you're not with your body, not to finish the sentence, to stop speaking, to close your eyes, to reconnect, and then begin again. Okay? And the expectation when you're listening is, is that you keep your eyes open and focused on the other person no matter what. And here the instruction is, is that if you've fallen into the energy of the other person, if you're not with your own energy, you close your eyes, you drop back in, and then when you're ready, you re-emerge, connect again. Okay? So let's make picking who goes first simple. The short hair person goes first. Is that easy? Okay, short hair person is the first speaker. Long-haired person is the first listener. Yes? That's exactly right. You can pause yourself and you can pause yourself anytime. So this instruction of pause is a fundamental foundational insight dialogue agreement at any point when we are talking together. If you are not connected to your own body sensations, you can pause yourself. Very good to clarify that. Yeah. I will. So I'm the queen of the bell, 
and I get to start and to stop. And I've got a widget here that's going to help me keep track. If I can make the widget go. I think I can make the widget go. So let's start with closing eyes and dropping in and just feeling what it feels like to have another person sitting across from you, recognizing, you know, you're in this space with another person. And even though you haven't said anything to them much yet, there can be already a whole big, huge set of feelings about what it is going to be to say something or whether it's going to be you're going to be able to follow the directions to listen correct. So there can be already a whole sense of anxiety or feelings or anticipation just knowing that there may be, there will be some contact. And we can feel what that feels like before we even begin. So dropping in and noticing what is present without requiring it to be different And so when you hear the sound of the bell, each of you in your own time opens your eyes, finds a place to look at your partner that feels restful. And the first person, the short-haired person speaking, begins to speak, being very precise about body sensations you're experiencing in the present moment. Noticing when you're in dialogue, it's a little bit more difficult <laughs> to stay present and connected to your own body. But that's what happens. We are often in dialogue. It's not often that communication is that structured where it's that precise and limited and narrow. It's often that we're in dialogue. 
to be able to learn how to drop in when we're sharing and to be able to learn how to pause ourselves so that we have more sense of what it feels like to actually feel connected to our own body as we're speaking. Yeah. So what I'd like to do now, stay with the same partners. And, you know, we're, we're here and it's about to be springtime and we've got things bursting in the, around with blossoms and, you know, it's just to begin to touch into the joy of what it feels like to be alive on the earth. So this next contemplation is a contemplation of gratitude and, and joy of you know, the kinds of things that we really value and appreciate in our world and our earth being alive. So the contemplation is, is, is to follow the sentence stem. What I really love about being alive on the earth is what I really love about being alive on the earth is. And again, we're working with the instruction pause. And so, you know, we don't need to think about this, what we're going to say. We can just allow what arises. And we don't need to be complicated about it. We can just make it as simple as possible to convey the idea. And and we're wanting to stay connected to when we are speaking, what that feels like in our own body. Okay? So still staying really grounded in our own body. Are there any questions with the contemplation? one person and the other person. Yeah, so for the short-haired person begins again to speak, the long-haired person is listening, and then we're going to switch, okay? And so, yes? Would this also be phrases, the way the first one was, as opposed to sentences? Um, you get to choose how much detail, but keep it as simple as possible. Yeah, yeah. So the idea is to let this be an opportunity to really drop into our love of being alive in the earth and the kinds of joy and the gratitude that that brings us. Okay? And for this exercise, um, you're going to have four minutes, which again is going to feel like three hours. But it isn't. It's just four minutes. <laughs> and remembering, pause. So when you get lost, when you get lost into stories or when you get lost into feeling, not feeling your body, just close your eyes, stop speaking, drop back in and begin again. So we'll start again with eyes closed. Start again with being dropped in. Start again with just really connecting our body sensations to in, in the present moment. And the short-haired person is the first speaker. And you're going to have four minutes. You're welcome when you hear the sound of the bell to open your eyes and begin in your own time. Listener, 
Your encouragement is to stay completely present in your body and being very curious about what it is that you observe when you're listening to your person speak, noticing where they get animated, where they get expressive, noticing if parts of their body start moving. So your frame of reference is your own body, but you're observing what you see when you're listening. When I was living at the monastery for a period of time, we had a um, Zen retreats. They would come and they would use the retreat center. And we would always get them to cut the hedges because they could cut the hedges straight. When we asked the Vipassana people to touch the hedges, they would cut it like this. So this is a circle. <laughs> Circles are round. <laughs> Good. Thank you. <laughs> time for uh, a lunch break now and I just want to say a couple words about my alms bowl just because how many how many of you are familiar with monastics and alms bowls and alms round and all the rest of that a couple not not so many a couple yeah she's fine she's fine there yeah yeah she's fine there so, you know, this alms bowl, um, or a alms bowl, or one of the things that's required is part of the ordination process. And um, so I can't, I'm not allowed to be a nun unless I have robes and I have an alms bowl. So it's kind of pretty basic. And it's used as a way of, of receiving offerings for a meal. And so for the last well, nearly 25 years now, I've been... Um, an alms mendicant, where you know the food and the requisites that I have are is what's been offered, and um, in a monastery it's set up so that we have food that's offered every day. But England is not a Buddhist country, and neither is Colorado Springs. <laughs> and I have been going on alms round all these 25 years, and in Colorado Springs it's been particularly curious some of the things that happen because it's a, a quite conservative culture. Um, but the culture around alms round is just to make oneself available. And, you know, there's been times when things have happened that are just tremendously moving um, because people are moved, and I'm moved by them being moved. 
So right next to me is a, is a town called Manitou Springs. It's just a couple of miles from where I live. And I was on alms round in Manitou. And, you know, often people don't have a clue what I'm doing or who I am or what the deal is. And so they, they think I'm, I'm begging for money. So people, oftentimes they come up and they try and give me money. And I explain, I, you know, I'm not allowed to receive money. And then you see this kind of jaw-dropping brain freeze of, <laughs> so what are you doing? You can watch the thought across the forehead. And sometimes it expresses itself in words. You know, what are you doing? So I explain, you know, I'm on alms round. I'm available to receive offerings. I can receive food, but I can't receive money. And, you know, one woman, she went and she got, she got two bags of groceries, okay? She comes back and she offers them to me. I've known her like 45 seconds, you know, not very long. Um, and we're standing on the street, so there's, you know, cars going by and people going by and all the rest of that. And, and, and I say, well, you know, what usually happens in the monastery when I receive an offering is I chant a blessing. Is, is that okay? And she says, yeah, that'd be okay. So I say... You're probably not going to understand the language because it's in Pali, but it's about the goodness that comes from giving. So just pay attention, bring your attention to yourself and allow you to connect with your own goodness. That's all I said. And the floodgates start opening. So I'm chanting, she's weeping, we're standing on a street corner. I've known her now a minute and 15 seconds. And it's totally mind-blowing, you know? It's just absolutely mind-blowing. I've never met her before in my life, you know? And so there's something about the vulnerability of this life that invokes in people sometimes an opportunity for them to touch their own basic goodness. It's just extraordinary. So um, anyway, so I, this is my alms bowl. I usually eat out of it. Even when I'm eating in my vihara by myself, I usually eat out of it. So there's a time for a meal now. And um, we had set it up so that if you had things you could share, you could share them now. And I'll receive them and then chant a blessing. And then what I'd like to do during the mealtime is to stay in silence. So have this not be a social time of people chit-chatting and engaging and catching up and finding out, you know, who won the the game and what's happening with the hockey and what's going on with the politicians, but really stay dropped into body sensations. And as we're eating the food, you know, just really appreciate what it is to have food that nourishes us, that have food that's healthy, that have food that's not toxic, that have food that's delicious, that's beautiful. You know, so that same theme of joy and gratitude, let it continue through our lunch break. Okay? So please take some time. If you have anything to offer, please you can gather it now. And if you didn't have anything to offer, they've prepared a meal for me, so there'll be plenty. And I can receive what you have and do a blessing, and we can have an hour break. Okay? So take some time. We'll come back here in a circle. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.